And as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to be today mostly in the Gospel of Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 19 for just one verse, and then we're going to look for the next couple of weeks at one of the most crazy and amazing stories of the Bible found in Luke chapter 15. So that's where we're going to find ourselves. So this fall, uh, if you, especially if you're new to King's Chapel, this fall, uh, we've been making our way through a sermon series called Faithful Witness. Because God has called us and Jesus has made us his faithful witness. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts will tell us this, is that the Holy Spirit has been given to us after Jesus arose from the dead. Uh, he gave us to be, have power to be his witnesses. It's interesting the word witness in the Greek is where we get the word martyr. So God has called us in Christ, those of us who have embraced Christ, to be a witness, to be a testimony, to be a light, to be an example, for the world to see who he is, to the world to know him, uh, to the world to hear the good news. We, church, we are to be a witness, and we are to be a faithful witness. So the question that we're trying to answer is, what does it look like for us to be a faithful witness? What does it mean, not just for the pastor, but for all of the church, to be a faithful witness? And one of the things we're going to see, that for us to be a faithful witness, we got to be like Jesus and do what he did, and that is to seek the lost. That he has a heart for those who have yet to embrace him, to know and love him. So as he came to seek the lost church, that is one of the things we must do to be faithful to God's word, to be true and faithful, we must be seeking and saving the lost. Well, speaking of the lost, how many of you are prone to lose things? Just me? A couple of you raise your hand. None of you that high. You're like, oh, that's me. Yep. I think studies have shown that those people who lose things are brilliant, right? Says one who has the propensity to lose things. But anyway... I love the fact that technology has come along to help many of us find our lost things that mean something to us. For those of you who have Apple products, you probably can find, find your iPhone. If you have an iPad or find your iPad. If you have an Apple Watch, you can find it all. As a matter of fact, it's kind of freakish how it talks to you. When I leave my iPad behind and I drive away from the office, the church, or my home, and I get a little bit down the street, it'll pop up, whoop. Your iPod has been left behind. I'm like, seriously? Do they know me? They just want to know, hey, moron, you know, did you leave something behind? Uh, but I love the fact that you know when I lost something like that because you hear that special ding, you know? Ring for me. Let me find my phone. Let me find. And for some of you, you even have something that you have, could slip into your wallet that will show you where your wallet is, well, unless you're not connected to Wi-Fi. Anybody have a wallet thing that slips in there? Anybody a minute ago? A couple of us, all right. How about luggage tags? What a cool thing now, right? I mean, I've heard some great stories of people who, you know, you get to your destination and your luggage doesn't, and then you have the airline saying, well, we're trying to find it for you. Um, and you say, well, if you have one of those things, I can tell you where it is, right there it is. So to be able to, to find that what is lost, I am grateful for technology but the greatest one who finds the lost is our great God. Our great God. And how does he find the lost? Well, he doesn't use GPS. Uh, he doesn't use a little thing you put in your wallet. 
How does God find the lost? He sends his son. He sends his son on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost. So we're going to look at that reality and see how God has done it, what Jesus says to us about the lost and seeking the lost. And that, if we're to be a faithful witness, how we are to respond to that. So a few things this morning. We're going to first see that Jesus came. His mission was to seek and to save the lost. We're going to see if that's a reality Jesus receives and welcomes sinners. Good news. That Jesus personally searches for sinners. That Jesus rescues sinners and Jesus re rejoices over lost sinners. So again, keep your Bibles handy today. Uh, if you don't have one, there'll be one. There's one in front of the, uh, you right there in the pew. Uh, we're going to start in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Uh, then we're going to go to 15, but don't lose your place in Luke 19. We're going to come back to that. No matter where we find ourselves in God's word, and today we'll be in the Old and New Testament, this is God's word. It'll never lead us astray. It's without error. Hear the word of the Lord, church. For the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Turn with me now to Luke 15. I'm going to read 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, those religious leaders, grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he even eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents." Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we're so grateful for a God who cares and loves those who are lost. And God, it's so good to read your word and reminded that God, that your son Jesus came on a mission to seek and to save the lost. And God, the truth is, there's not one of us apart from you who is not utterly, completely lost. But God, we thank you for that rescue mission and the success of it that Jesus had so long ago. And God, would you come and remind us that if we are to be a faithful witness, that we are to, to reflect that search and rescue that Jesus did for us to those around us. Oh God, would you be pleased to come and speak through a broken sinner like me? 
Oh God, would you give us the ears to hear your voice and the minds to understand your word. And oh God, the hearts that embrace your truth and the feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. And God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, oh Lord, let those things bear fruit in our lives, in our church, in our community, in the world, for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor, we pray. Amen. The first thing we see that's very clear in the Gospel of Luke 19, it says Jesus specifically, here's the mission, he came to seek and to save the lost. This is his purpose. This is his mission. Why would Jesus, the eternal God, put on flesh and come dwell among us? Why would he do that? Well, it was because of rescue. It was because of his love and his Father's love for us that he would become a man, that he would come to seek and to save the lost. This was the reason for the Father to send his Son. I love what Scripture will say. Things like Romans 5, 8. For God demonstrates his own love for us that while we're still sinners, while we need seeking, while we are lost, he would send his Son to come rescue us. So this, this whole search and rescue for sinners it begins with God's love for sinners. And his love would be so great and amazing that he would send his son to rescue us. And sometime to that seek and search for, rescued, uh, for sinners to be rescued, he finds them even in a sycamore tree. Let's go back, let's go back to uh, Luke chapter 19. I read for you verse 10 that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pick up the story of what was happening in Luke 19, right before those words. There was a wee little fella named Zacchaeus. Have you ever heard of a wee little man named Zacchaeus? Well, he was a tax collector. Uh, This is what it says in Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. He, Jesus, entered Jericho, was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector. Now remember, for the Jew, a tax collector was a traitor, a terrible sinner, because he made his living by taking money from other Jews and giving it to Caesar. And a chief tax collector was the biggest of sinners. Not a big man in stature, but he would be, in that eyes, very, very much of a sinner. And he was rich. How did he become rich? Off of the people's backs. And he was seeking to see Jesus. He was seeking to see Jesus, who was but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, calls him by name, don't you love that? Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is gone to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I, have, I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. That's what the law said. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Even a chief tax collector like Zacchaeus. 
I love the fact that this passage tells us that Zacchaeus was seeking for Jesus. Zacchaeus wanted to see him. And so badly did he want to see him, although he was of small stature and the crowd was in the way, he was going to get to himself a position that he could see Jesus. But the scripture will tell us that the one who was really seeking, the ultimate seeker, was Jesus himself. That Jesus was on a rescue mission and Zacchaeus was one of the sheep that God gave him. That the true and ultimate seeker is Jesus. Well, let me tell you the reality is this. If you have any desire to seek Jesus, know that he has already been seeking you. He is the ultimate seeker. He's the one who is the initiator. If you have a love and a warmth for him, it's because he has a love and a warmth for you. And he has come for sinners like us. But then we go back to Luke 15. It says that the religious people were angry and grumbling because Jesus received sinners. The interesting thing about that Greek word receives sinners, maybe in your translation, it says he welcomes sinners. So this is more than just trick-or-treaters that you're going to receive at your door. That you hand them some candy and say, go away, right? I mean, this is, this is receiving warmly. This is embracing. And it says that uh, there he is with, with a bunch of, of, of sinners, um, tax collectors, some really bad sinners in the world's eyes, and he receives them, and he welcomes them. Well, well you know, one of the places in my life, I don't know about you, that that really helped shape my life, both good and bad, was the cafeteria at Perry Junior High in New Hartford, New York. Does anybody remember junior high cafeterias? For some of you who are younger, maybe middle school cafeterias. I mean, that's some of the hardest places to go right there. I mean, that's like the battleground, right? Why? Because although the administration never told you where to sit, there was always kind of an assigned seating anywhere. You hung out. The jocks hung out together. The artists tend to hang out together. Uh, the kids who uh, got picked on kind of got hung on together. Everybody kind of got picked on by somebody. But it was amazing where you went. And that would identify where you fit in, where your pecking order was. Well, again, uh, that, that reality is true in Jesus' culture. And Jesus' culture, who you spoke with, who you ate with, talked a lot about who you were. It talked a lot about your social standing. So here Jesus is a rabbi, right, a Jewish rabbi, and in that culture, in that time, you, know, you did not associate with Gentiles. You certainly didn't eat with a Gentile. You wouldn't go and sit down and have a meal and fellowship with a known sinner. It might stain you, they thought. It might uh, be an abomination for your reputation, so here we see Jesus breaking social norms. Uh, here you see a rabbi who's not willing to not only receive welcome sinners, not only welcome sinners, eat with sinners. And it was scandalous to the religious leaders. But hear the good news, church. Jesus receives sinners. Jesus welcomes sinners. And he is sitting with, a really, this is the strangest group of people he's sitting with. He's sitting with the religious people, and he's sitting with the known sinners. That's who he's with, all right? So Jesus is a friend of, of sinners. Now, here's what we got to understand. This is, this is a really key to this. He's a friend to the religious sinners, and he's a friend to the irreligious sinners. 
Who was there? Well, some people would look at that this story and say, well, here's who was there, the sinners and the saints. But let me tell you, that's not true. They're all sinners. I mean, the religious people that were there, these religious, they're religious sinners, and they were the biggest judgmental jerks that go. I mean, who did Jesus have the hardest time with? Isn't it interesting? It was with the religious people that he had a hard time with. The people who thought if I do something externally, if I go to synagogue, if I was circumcised, I'm in. If I'm a part of a tribe, of a Jewish tribe, I'm in. That, that somehow being a descendant of Abraham, I'm in. Um, and matter of fact, not only am I in, you're out. And I'm going to make you know that you're out. But they were sinners that desperately needed to hear the gospel. They thought they were right with God because they had circumcision. Maybe some people will say, I'm right with God because I was baptized. You know, there's some traditions that think that infant baptism removes original sin. There's a big church uh, before the Reformation that would say that get your baby baptized. If you don't get your baby baptized, if something happens, uh-oh, so get your baby baptized, therefore the sin will be removed and God will accept them. Listen, that's a sign of God accepting us by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Baptism doesn't save us. Circumcision doesn't save us. Church membership doesn't save us. Being holy and moral doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. So here you have them sitting here with the religious sinners and the irreligious sinners. Irreligious, it's clear. And by the way, next week we're going to continue to unpack this and look at uh, him talking about two sons. One that represents the irreligious and one that represents the religious. That's next week. But not only that, he eats and drinks with them. Not only does he hang out with them, but he socializes with them. I love the fact, listen, listen to Matthew, Gospel of Matthew eleven nineteen. It says this, the Son of Man, Jesus, also the Son of God, he came eating and drinking, and they're, they're, by the way, this is talking about John the Baptist didn't, but Jesus did. He came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him. Here's what they call Jesus, a glutton and a drunker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Because why? Who he sat down to have a meal with. Who he called friend. Who he fellowshiped with. His reputation didn't matter. Their souls did. What other people talked about him didn't matter. Here was he was known as a friend of sinners. Church, Jesus receives sinners. Jesus kept company with sinners. Thank God, because I'm a big one. And he still does. And he always will. Can you believe that there's churches that will have signs that say that God hates sinners? There are signs that say that, that he's excited that certain sinners die. Um, Listen, our God is a God of love. He's a God of justice, and it's truth. That's true. But we can't miss the fact that Jesus welcomes sinners, and so should we. Not only does he welcome them, he received them as his disciples. I mean, Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He took a tax collector. He said, I'm going to make him one of my 12. Jesus, he's going to take these sinners, and he's going to tell us in John 15, he calls them friends. Not only is he calling them friends, watch this. Jesus' love for sinners is so radically beautiful that not only does he associate with us, not only does he call us friends, he makes us his family. He adopts us in. He makes us as close as we can. Uh, that's absolutely incredible. 
And not only does he make us his own, the Bible tells us he shares with us his inheritance. We are joint heirs with Christ. Church, you know how radical that is? Jesus is saying, it's not just that I love you. It's not just that I welcome you and associate with you. I love you so much, I'm going to make you my own. And not only am I going to make you my own, I'm going to give you my name. And not only am I going to give you my name, I'm going to give you my blessing. And not only am I going to give you my blessing, I'm going to lavish love upon you, and I'm never going to let you go. Wow, what an amazing search and rescue that he loves us. Jesus, a friend of sinners. How would I say it, church? Jesus, a friend of knuckleheads. A savior of sinners like me. Jesus searches for sinners. Jesus searches personally for sinners, it says, uh, that he seeks and to save the lost. So it's interesting. Here he has in this group some religious leaders, right? These religious leaders, these are the ones that should be searching for the lost. Instead, they are judging the lost and ridiculing the lost. And Jesus says, I myself am going to do this. About 700 years before Jesus arrived, there was a prophet named Ezekiel. Read the book of Ezekiel. Some different stuff in there. Some amazing stuff in there. And you get to Ezekiel chapter 34. And God is going to speak to the people through Ezekiel. And he's going to say, I, I'm really upset with the leaders. I'm really upset with the shepherds. Now, when the Bible talked about a shepherd, a king was a shepherd. The priests were to be shepherds. These were the leaders of God's people. They were called shepherds. So in Ezekiel 34, God says, Listen, you leaders, all you do is take care of yourself. My sheep are scattered all over the place, and none of you are looking for them, and none of you are feeding them, and none of you are caring for them. Look what's happening to the church. Look what's happening to my people. And so he says this, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to come after them. I'm going to shepherd them. I'm going to bind them up. I'm going to love on them. So listen, church, I want to read to you. I'm going to read to you out of Ezekiel 34 today. And I'm going to read to you uh, uh, 1 through maybe about 17. So I'm always nervous as a preacher. If I start reading, I lose you. But don't, okay? So, so here's the deal. Want to follow along with me? It's, it's in the, your Bible. Uh, the words will not be on the screen, but I do want you to hear these. Ezekiel 34, 700 years before Jesus. He personally comes to seek us. Listen for all the times he says, I am. I'm the one. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, interesting, isn't that? That's what Jesus is called. Prophesies against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the flesh, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth, and none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, 
Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Hear the word of the Lord. Listen to this. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he scattered as his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where I have been, uh, they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out of the peoples and gather them for the countries. I will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pastures on the mountain heights of Israel shall there be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pastures they said feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will shepherd the sh- uh, be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the stray. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will bring justice. Wow. What a promise. It's God's heart. It's God's heart for the lost. I'm going to do it. The great I am. The number of times he uses I am. I am. The same language that describes our covenant God that revealed his name to Moses. And the same one that Jesus says, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am. And I am the one who's going to come and to seek those personally and find them. What a fulfillment to Ezekiel's prophecy. There's an extensive search for sinners. How extensive was Jesus' search for sinners? That he would come from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, From the grave back to heaven. That's an amazing, extensive search for sinners. It's an exhaustive search for sinners. No matter the odds. He says, if there's one out of a hundred that's lost, I'm coming for you. If there's one out of ten coins that are lost, I'm coming for you. We're going to see the brothers. There's one out of two, I'm coming, no matter what are the odds. Jesus will say, my sheep are going to hear my voice. I'm the good shepherd, and they will follow me. John 6, 37 says this. This is how exhaustive the search is. All the Father has given to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Interesting. Jesus came on a search rescue mission. And he says, all the Father before time gave to me. All of them are going to come. I love what it says in John 18, 9. This was to fulfill the word that had been spoken. Of those whom you have given me, Jesus says to his Father, I have lost not one. I mean, Jesus has this laser focus on sinners. And Jesus has an amazing laser focus on all of his sheep. And he says, it's not enough that I have 99. I need the 100. It's not enough that we have 9. I need the 10. It's not enough. I will search heaven and earth to make sure that there's not one that is going to be lost. Jesus came to save the lost, and he finds all the Father has given to him. He bats a 1,000. He doesn't miss one. Jesus' priority was for the lost. Isn't that interesting? He says in Mark 2, verse 17, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are all well need no physician, but those who are sick, he says, I came not to call the righteous, but to sinners. 
Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. We see that Jesus rescues sinners. There's a huge difference between search and rescue and search and recovery, isn't there, Tom? Tom, has been in, Tom and Mary have been a part of search and rescue. What's the difference between search and rescue and search and recovery? Does anybody know? Search and rescue, they're alive. Search and recovery, they're not. You just want to, in love, bring back their bodies. But here's the good news. Jesus comes to rescue sinners. And even when he finds them dead in their trespasses again, he makes them alive. He makes them alive in Christ Jesus. His search and rescue is not a search and recovery. Jesus searches until he finds. He seeks them diligently. He tells us these parables to say, this is who I am. I'm turning the house upside down. I'm going to go anywhere that lost sinners are. I'm not missing one. I'm, I, anything I got to do. If he came to seek and to save sinners, shouldn't he be hanging out with sinners? Shouldn't he be welcoming them? And that's exactly what he does. That's exactly who he is. He finds the lost. And how, how are they found? It's interesting. He makes it clear it's through repentance and restoration. He says when they're found, they're really found. When they repent of their sins, they embrace him as Savior. Are you found? Do you know that you are found if you know that you're a sinner and you've repented and believed? That's how you're found. That's how we respond. We acknowledge the truth is I was lost. My sin has separated me from God. And out of that lostness, Jesus came for me. And we repent of our sins and we believe in the gospel. It's an interesting thing. There's one really difficult thing I read that says he has more joy in heaven over one who repents and believes other than 99 who do not need repentance. Who the heck are the 99 who do not need repentance? Commentaries will say, is he talking about the angels that are already there? Is he talking about believers that are there? Let me tell you what he's not talking about, the religious people that are sitting there. They need repentance big time, right? Because scripture will say, there is not one who is righteous, no, not one, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who needs repentance? Everyone who's ever been born. That's each and every one of us. So may God give us the grace. Jesus, not only that, he rejoices over rescued sinners. I love the fact that he throws a party. And both of these things, it's always the same thing. Something of value is lost. There's a really big search. There's something that was found, and then he throws a party. Then he rejoices. He wants to share the joy with you, the church, with me. The joy of lost being found. He says, rejoice with me. He says, call your friends and neighbors and tell them, party, those who have come to the Lord. Not only should we party on earth, there's joy in heaven. It brings God, the triune God, joy of seeing the lost rescued before the angels of God. And the last thing I want to say is this. This friend of sinners, to rescue them, endured a cross. To rescue sinners, it would cost him his life. At great cost to himself would he rescue lost sinners. He would become their sin so that we could become their righteousness. He would experience God's wrath. He would, he would know the, the hell of having a father turned away from him as he absorbed that wrath, the holy God's wrath for us so we can receive his blessing. He endured the cross so that we could be found. And he called it joy.
and he called it joy. He called it joy. Oh yeah, he sweat blood the night before. And he knew it would be the most torturous pain ever, and not just physically, but spiritually, to experience that hell. But Hebrews 12, 2 says this, we need to be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If Jesus drove a car and had a vanity plate, it would say, search and rescue. And not only that, on the back it would say, the found need to be celebrating that I've come to seek and to save the lost. So here we sit, church, we're in one of two places. Either you still need to be rescued by the only one who could rescue, his name is Jesus. But if you, by God's grace, have repented and believed, you're part of the worship, you're part of the uh, search and rescue team. It's our job, church, faithful witness. It's our job to go and seek the lost. We can't save them. We just tell them about the one who can. God's going to give them ears to hear. Some will think that we're foolish and crazy. To some, we will be the aroma of life. To some, we will be the aroma of death. But if you're rescued, you're part of the rescue team. And if you're not rescued, religion will not save you. A ceremony will not save you. Morality will not save you. There's only one who will. And it's Jesus. Embrace him, repent, embrace him. May we be a church that reflects our Savior and seeks and saves the lost. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we're so grateful for a Savior, the Eternal One, the Word of God who puts on flesh. And Jesus, why would you leave all the comforts of home, all the comforts of heaven, to become a man and experience all the uncomfortableness of earth? to start in a manger, a smelly manger, to have a no place to lay your head, to be ridiculed, to be crucified, to hang on a cross, to absorb the wrath of a holy God, your Father. Why in the world would you ever endure that for sinners like us? Because Jesus... You came to seek and to save the lost, and those are sinners. And to do that, you had to be a friend of sinners. And there's no greater friend than we've ever had, one who would lay his life down for us. And God, we thank you that not only have you rescued us through the work of your son, you've called us to be a part of the rescue mission. That we're going to leave here and we're going to search the community to seek and to save the lost, to know the good news of what Christ has done. Would you draw them here even today through our fall festival? Oh God, giving them a bag of candy is not going to do much other than rot their teeth. But hearing the good news of the gospel, we find life. Shine, Jesus, shine. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.